Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Of you, I want to invite to open your Bibles for the very last time in a long while. May, I may preach from Luke again, but I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Many of you may be familiar with the world's strongest man competitions. You maybe have seen those shows on ESPN or other sports channels that really started back in the 70s when these freaks of nature would do these very bizarre things to show how strong they were. For example, they would pull trucks on their, uh, you know, like 100 meters to see how far they could pull a truck. Sometimes they pulled airplanes. Sometimes they did death, deadlifts starting at 1,000 pounds. Anybody here can do deadlifts at 1,000 pounds starting. They carry refrigerators on their backs. Kind of crazy. I, w- I went to the Guinness World Records website and got some very interesting information Um, This guy from England named John Evans, he balanced a 352-pound car on his head for 33 seconds on May 24th, 1999. Another guy from Canada pulled an airplane weighing over 200 tons a distance of 28 feet on an Air Force base in September of 2009. Strong man competitions. Now, I'm looking out here this morning, and I don't see... Anybody that may fit that description of doing these big strongman type things. But there's something enamoring about strength. We are drawn to strength as Americans. We like strong athletes. We want strong people. We like strong politicians. We are drawn to strength. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it has crept over into the Christian world. Where we want to see things that are strong and powerful and mighty. And yet sometimes I think we can lose focus as far as what is the purpose of the strength that God does give us. So why do I talk about strength? Why do I talk about power? Well, we come to this final passage in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus ascends to heaven, and he promises that the Holy Spirit will come and clothe the disciples, with power. Power from on high. Something more powerful than a strongman competition, something more powerful than pulling an airplane or putting a refrigerator on your head, God's power. And so last week, we focused on the central message of Luke. As as we're bringing this down to a close, what's the central message of Luke? Jesus told us last week. It is that you can have peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. And we looked at that under three words to start with G. Guilt, grace, gratitude. You and I are all guilty because of our sins. Our biggest problem, as we heard earlier, is a sin problem. We stand guilty before a holy God. The answer to that is grace. God gives us forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, and then we respond with a life of gratitude to that 
grace. So that was the, that was the central message of the book of Luke, the message. But today in this closing sermon, I want to focus on a different question. What is our response? Or to ask it more specifically, what is our fundamental purpose as Christians? What's our primary reason for existing? What is the heart and sum of living the Christian life? Last week, it was what's the central message. Today, how do we live the Christian life? And here's the answer. Why do you and I exist? What's the primary answer to this? Two words that start with W. We exist for worship and witness. Worship and witness. This was read to open our service this morning, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to proclaim the excellencies. That's, that's the only time this word is used in the scriptures. It means to broadcast, to publicly display to exalt, to, 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 to boast. And we're to proclaim the excellencies. What are the excellencies? We're to publish abroad God's power in the gospel. What did we see last week? That the Christ must suffer on the cross, die, and in three days rise again. So ultimately... As believers in Jesus Christ, when you distill it down to what is our primary function, what's our primary purpose, why do we exist? Two big words. We exist for worship and for witness. Now, how do we see this play out in the Scripture for us this morning? How do we worship and how do we witness? How do we see this? What I want us to do this morning in the ascension of Christ back to heaven, I want us to see three truths that will help us understand more fully what it means to live a lifestyle of worship and witness. So, let's read this together. We're going to start back in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So what are these three truths that we see this morning about how to live a life of worship and witness. Here's truth number one. Jesus sits enthroned in heaven as Lord over all. Jesus sits enthroned in heaven as Lord over all. 
Now, we have to understand what's happening here. The resurrected Christ has completed the mission. He's finished the task. Remember on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And then he rose from the dead. And Luke kind of compacts the time frame here, but he appeared for 40 days to his disciples and up to 500 people. And now comes that time where the work's completed, the resurrection's fulfilled, Jesus must go back to heaven to his Father. And as he goes back to heaven, he will be enthroned at the right hand of the Father, seated as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Jesus has already alluded to this in the Gospel of Luke. He's already talked about this. In Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, he says, From now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, the Pharisees and the religious leaders had no idea what, what he meant when he said it at the time, but Jesus will be seated next to God in power. Luke twenty four twenty six. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Ascend back up to glory. And then Mark's gospel says it this way. Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, seated in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, Luke also wrote the, God, the book of Acts. So skip over John for a moment and go to the opening words of Acts. So Acts is the sequel. didn't know if you knew that. Acts is the sequel to the, to the gospel of Luke. And Luke gives us another account of the ascension of Jesus. So as you go to Acts chapter 1, you look at verses 9 through 11. I just want you to, instead of having it on the screen, I want you to see it with your own eyes just so you can see it there. Acts 1 verse 9. When he had said these things, that's Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven in a cloud. He will come back from heaven in a cloud. And so Jesus ascends back up to heaven to be seated as King of kings and as Lord of lords. So here's the issue. Whether you like it or not, Jesus is absolutely Lord over all. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is absolutely Lord over all. Because Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We exist for worship. And what does that mean? It means we submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus overall. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, seated in heaven, ruling and reigning. The ascension shows us that the work is complete. He finished the task. He died on the cross. He rose again. It is finished. Now it's time for him to go back up to heaven, and then he will come back one day in power and glory. So here's the question for you. Do you submit to the absolute lordship of Christ in every area of your life. Every area of your life. Or do you pick and choose what parts of your life you want Jesus to be lord over? Now, you really can't do that. 
You can think that you're doing that, but you can't pick and choose. Jesus is absolutely Lord. The issue is, do you submit to him as Lord? Do you bow the knee to him as Lord? Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Here's the point. Do it now. And do it now with joy as opposed to waiting till that day when it's too late. He is absolutely Lord. Now, until Jesus comes back in power and glory, there's a second truth we need to understand. Here's the second truth that we see in this passage of Scripture. The Holy Spirit empowers us to witness to all people. Now, Jesus tells them right there in the text. So let's go back to Luke. Sorry to take you to Acts for a moment, but I wanted you to see that. Go back to Luke. He says there in verse 47, repentance, and we talked about what repentance was last week, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, preached in his name where? To all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, to all the nations. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, or then to the the Gentiles. Now the mission would start in Jerusalem. And it's interesting because he says there in verse 48, You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city. Literally sit. (laughs) Sit down and wait. Wait in the city until what? Until you're clothed with power from on high and we know from acts chapter 2 that's the day of pentecost when they are clothed with power on high and that's the pattern of the book of acts it starts in jerusalem and then it goes out to judea then samaria and then to the utter ends of the earth and do you realize this has been god's plan from the very beginning not just to have the gospel go to the Israelite people, but to go to the nations. And, and actually, from the very beginning, back when God announced to Abraham, of all people, his plan to call Abraham to be this great nation. Genesis twelve three. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was God's plan from the very beginning that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And ultimately through Abraham came Jesus. So it was God's plan from the very beginning not just to have Israel be his people, but all the nations to have the gospel. And that was the mandate for Israel back in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 49, 6, Is it too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light to who? For the nation that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So that's why missions is so important here at Emmanuel. A light to the nations. That's why we've invited Daniel and Casey here who shared earlier about missions to Poland. That's why we have gone to India multiple times into unreached people groups to share the gospel to the nations. That's why we partner with those that are going to unreached people to go to the nations. It is God's mandate that we go to the nations. And how will that happen? It will happen when we have power from on high. How does Acts start? Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, that's where it started. But in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So why do you exist? 
You exist for witness, to be a witness to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to your next door neighbor, to your coworker, to your friend, to your neighbor, to your classmate, to your teammate, and then to the ends of the world. I find it very interesting how Paul prayed. Now, let me ask you a trivia question. Who was the greatest missionary of all time besides Jesus? Paul. We could say Paul was probably the greatest missionary of all time. Listen to his prayer, two prayers, Ephesians 6, 19-20. Pray also for me. Okay, Paul, what are you asking us to pray for, or the Ephesian church? Pray for me, what? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I find it very interesting that Paul prays for boldness. Paul prays for boldness, that I would be bold in opening up my mouth. Okay, in Colossians, what does he pray for? Colossians 4, 3 through 6, at the same time, pray also for us. Okay, Paul, what do you want us to pray for? That God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here, Paul prays for clarity. Prays for boldness and clarity, that I would be bold in my witness, that I would be clear in my witness. And then Peter rounds it out in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor or set apart Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Here's the question. Are you praying for boldness? For clarity? for an answer, and that you may do it with gentleness and respect. Newsflash, you can be a bold Christian and not be a jerk. You can be bold in your witness and not be a jerk about it. You can do it with gentleness and respect. You can speak the truth in love. It's very difficult. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Now, St. Francis of Assisi has supposedly, allegedly, given us this statement, which is not helpful at all. This is what's been attributed to Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Okay, let me unpack that for you. That's like saying, play basketball always, and if necessary, use a ball. Go hunt elk with a rifle, and if necessary, use bullets. Go make chicken parmesan, and if necessary, use chicken. Go paint your nails, and if necessary, use nail polish. Okay, it doesn't make any sense. You can't preach the gospel without words. Now, I know what he means. Let your actions back it up. But you do not preach the gospel unless you use words that are clear, words that are bold, and words that give a defense for the hope that you have. You need to open your mouth and share the gospel with words. But you may say, Pastor Sean, I'm afraid. I'm the first in line. I'm afraid too. But guess what Luke tells us earlier in Luke 12, 11 through 12? When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you should, how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now here's the danger that happens sometimes when we think about the Holy Spirit's role in witnessing. We're waiting for that zap. I'm not going to say anything until I get zapped with the Spirit. I won't say anything until I get zapped. Once I get zapped, then I'll open my mouth. Now here's the problem. The Holy Spirit's usually waiting for you to open your mouth 
And then when you open your mouth, you'll find that he's there right before you to give you words to say. So in other words, don't wait for the liver shiver. Don't wait for the zap. Don't wait for the tingling before you share. Open your mouth and share and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. Because if you wait for the zap, you know what I mean by the zap. If you wait for the Spirit to somehow prompt you, you may be waiting a long time. Just open your mouth and speak. Here's the issue. Here's the issue. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you might be. You may be, whether you feel like it or not. Here's the point. You're going to be a witness, whether you know it or not or whether you like it or not. The question is this. Will you be a bold, clear, urgent, faithful witness, or will you be a silent, fearful, confusing, lazy, poor witness? Lax. You will be witnesses. So Jesus says, you'll be clothed with power on high. You will be my witnesses. So here's the first two truths. Number one, Jesus is absolutely Lord. He's ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in power and glory, and he's coming back one day. And until that day comes, number two, he's empowered us, the Holy Spirit, for witness to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem and then going out to all the nations. But here's the third truth. Jesus deserves your life of joyful worship. Jesus deserves it, your life of joyful worship. Now, where do we see this? Look at verse 50. How does, how does the gospel of Luke end? Okay, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now, I find this to be so fascinating. Jesus blesses them. He shows love and compassion and blesses them right before he leaves because he knows they're going to be afraid. He knows that this is the last time they're going to see him. So in love and compassion, he blesses them. Now, how does he bless them? Now, this is a guess on my part. This is not in the Scripture, okay? So this is Pastor Sean's opinion, okay? This is my opinion. I think, and I could be wrong, this is my guess. My guess is that Jesus gave them the blessing of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. What does the blessing of Aaron say in Numbers chapter 6? You're familiar with it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, I don't know if that's what Jesus did. That's my guess. Because what do these men need? They need peace. They need the Lord's presence. What did we see last week as our greatest need? Peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. You and I are guilty, and we need Christ as our Savior. And so Jesus blesses them one last time, and then he goes back up to heaven. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I would have been there to be blessed by Jesus. It would have been awesome to be blessed by Jesus, to stand there and see him bless and hear the blessing and then go, see him go back up to heaven. That would have been awesome to be there. But let me just give you news. Jesus still blesses you today. Now, how does that happen? Okay, let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing right now? He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He is representing you. In other words, he is blessing you even to this day. I want you just to picture in your mind. I don't know if this is how it is, but just picture in your mind. Jesus is seated in heaven, and his hands are out towards you, and he's blessing you. He's praying over you. He's there for you. What does Romans chapter 8, verse 34 say? Who's to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing there? He's interceding for us. He's there for us. He's praying for us. He's defending us. He's blessing us. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because what? He always lives to make intercession for them. He's blessing us right now at the right hand of the Father by making intercession for us. Now, I want to show you something very interesting in the Gospel of Luke. Luke bookends his Gospel on the front end and on the back end. So let's ask a question. I know it was two years ago, so I don't expect you to remember all this. Three years ago almost. How does Luke begin? Okay, think about the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be with child. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You're a virgin. You're going to give birth. And then Mary sings Mary's song, which is called the Magnificat. And what does Mary say? Luke 1, 46 through 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary worships. Okay, what happens when the angels announce to the shepherds that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem? In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Great joy. Worshiping God. And then how did the shepherds respond when they go see the Christ child? In Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. How does Luke begin? Mary magnifies, blesses, or praises the Lord. Then angels announce news of great joy, and the shepherds continually, constantly bless and praise the Lord. How does Luke end? I want you to see it with your own eyes. What do you see? Verse 52, the very last verse. 52 and 53. And they worshipped him. Like Mary at the beginning of Luke, who worshipped their worshipping Jesus at the end. And that word worship means to lay flat on the ground in reverence and humility, to throw yourself before Almighty God in reverent humility. What did the angels announce to the shepherds? You will receive news of great joy. Okay, look at verse 52. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It's the exact same wording. Great or mega joy. Okay, how did the shepherds respond when they saw baby Jesus? They returned continually praising and blessing the Lord. What's the very last thing we see here in verse 53? They were continually in the temple blessing God. They were blessing God. Now, that's interesting. It doesn't say they were praising God. They were blessing God. What does it mean to bless God? That's where we get our word eulogy, to eulogize. It means to speak well of. In other words, what it means is they were every day meeting together bragging about Jesus boasting about Jesus, speaking about Jesus, witnessing about Jesus, glorifying Jesus. So Luke begins his gospel with worship and ends his gospel with worship. Now, what's the primary purpose of Luke's gospel? Why did he write it? Well, we don't have to guess. He told us in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I'm writing these things to you that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. That you may have certainty. 
Okay, here's the point of Luke. Let's just distill it down to one sentence. Over the past three years, we've been taught from Luke. And his goal is that we would be certain of what we've been taught. And that certainty should lead to, and how does he end it? A life of worship and a life of witness. Are you certain of what you've been taught? Well, what have we been taught? Jesus told us the heart of the gospel. Look at verses 46 and 47. What is the main thing that Jesus wants us to remember here at the end? Verse 46, it is written that the Christ should suffer, that is on the cross, and on the third day rise from the dead, the resurrection, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, that's witness, where? To all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The gospel. Be certain of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So what have we been taught? Paul says, or Luke says, we, he wants to be certain, that we're certain of it, that Christ died on the cross, rose again, and that we are able to witness to this event. A life of witness. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We exist for witness, but we also exist for worship. That's ultimately why we exist. Look at the last two verses here. What does Luke want us? What does Luke want ringing in our ears when we leave the Gospel of Luke? Just read it again. They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Worship, joy, blessing, praise. We exist for worship and witness. What does 1 Corinthians 10:31 say? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything to the glory of God. And as was read earlier, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Is your life marked by worship, and witness. Are you certain of the things you've been taught? Now, I don't expect you to remember everything we've gone over the last three years, but Luke says, I want you to be certain of the things you've been taught. Why? So you can live a life of worship and witness. So, let our lives be poured out to the exalted Lord in worship. And let our lives be empowered by the Holy Spirit in witness. And let us do all things for His glory. Because Jesus is the exalted Lord. He's seated on His throne. He's worthy of all worship. He's worthy of all witness. And He's coming back in power and glory. And the question is, are you ready for that day? And if you're not ready for that day, get ready for that day by trusting in Jesus Christ alone to forgive you of your sins and to receive salvation that comes through Him alone. And if you are ready for that day, make it your life's ambition until He comes back to live a life poured out to Him in worship 
and in witness for the glory of God. And thus ends for us the gospel of Luke. Amen? All right, let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we go to him in prayer. It's been a long journey through the gospel of Luke. And Lord, we may not remember all that we've been taught over the past three years. But there's one thing we want to be certain of, and that is that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. That you died on the cross for our sins, bearing the guilt and shame that we alone deserved, crying out, it is finished, and then were placed into a tomb for three days and then rose again. And Jesus, you're alive and you ascended back to the Father and you're seated on the throne as absolute Lord over all. And we know you're coming back in power and glory. We don't know the time or the date. It could be very, very soon, Lord. We don't know. But Lord Jesus, until that day, you've called us to pour out our lives in worship and in witness. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, would you give us the power through the Holy Spirit to do that? Lord, help us to leave this place and live lives that glorify you in all that we do, that submit to your lordship in every area of our lives. Lord, as we leave this place, give us power through the Holy Spirit to witness, to share, to proclaim the gospel to a, to a world that desperately needs hope because they are dead in their sins and trespasses and need to be made alive in Christ. And that's only through the gospel. Lord, let us be humble. Let us be joyful. And Lord, I just love the way Luke ends. Let, let that define us, that we would be continually blessing your name. That the things that come off our lips would be you and your glory and your power. And we would do it with great joy. Jesus, thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength and you put that joy deep in our hearts. May we leave this place encouraged, empowered, and equipped to live lives of worship and witness for your glory. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen.